Welcome to City Tech Stories, a podcast highlighting the experiences and the voices of the City Tech community. Each episode will center around a theme and include perspectives from across the college. In today's episode, we'll hear from City Tech librarians about what they're listening to, watching, and reading during the pandemic. Hope you'll enjoy some of our recommendations. Okay, so... I thought we'd do this by genre. Um, thanks you all for being here. Do we want to do quick introductions to ourselves before we hop into our recommendations? Um, I, I'm Nora Almeida and I'm an instruction librarian at City Tech and I'll pass it over to Nanette. Hello, I'm Nanette Johnson. I am the Access Services Librarian at City Tech. Uh, my name is Junior Tiedel. I'm the Web Services and Multimedia Librarian uh, for City Tech. Hi, I'm Rachel Jones. I am a um, adjunct at City Tech working on instructional design. And I'm Monica Berger and I'm also an instruction librarian and I manage academic works. Great, thanks all for joining today. Um, so yeah, let's just get started by talking about what we're listening to. And this could be uh, podcasts or music that you're enjoying. Um, would love to hear if anybody has new music recommendations. Um, so yeah, we can just kind of have an informal discussion. I don't know, um, does anyone have a favorite new album or something that they're listening to right now? Monica, do you wanna go ahead and, and share what you've been listening to? I will. Um, well, I mean, mostly I listen to radio, to WFMU, but I find myself increasingly um, on Bandcamp. And when I follow a band that I like, I get an email about a new release and it's become kind of more of my focus for discovering new music. And um, so the last thing I listened to this week was a new release of um, Arthur Russell, who was this interesting figure in downtown New York City, arts culture. And um, I really enjoyed this recording. It was a, a live recording. Um, but I wanted to mention that there's this documentary um, about Russell called Wild Combination that I think you can pretty easily get it um, online. And um, the thing that's cool about Russell is that he was in the world of the avant-garde, but he also wrote more like pop songs. And those songs are just very hooky. And um, they also are very, they're very touching. They have a real sense of longing. So um, you can find a lot of these Arthur Russell recordings on Bandcamp. And that's my uh, report on what I've been listening to. Monica, do you participate in Bandcamp Fridays? Um, you mean in terms of buying albums from people? Yeah, on, on Fridays. I mean, if, if you know, just um, case, you know, listeners don't know, Bandcamp Fridays is where um, they Bandcamp waives all their fees, and musicians are able to, you know, uh, Bandcamp they take a small portion of you know sales, but on Fridays they haven't been doing that just to support musicians who aren't able to perform or go on tour and things like that. I have. I mean, I will admit that I generally am very frugal about paying for anything, <laughs> but I have, um, I recently bought a t-shirt and I have, um, yes, I have, I am aware of that Bandcamp Friday thing and it's really great. Yeah, I've been, I've been, that's where I've been getting most of my vinyl um, over the past eight months. Um, Oh, wow. it's, yeah, it's through Bandcamp because, you know, I'm still kind of weary about going into record stores, even with masks and, you know, they've opened up businesses and I prefer just mail order like I used to when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask uh, Junior and everyone else, have you guys even heard of Arthur Russell or is he just like um, off your radar? I've heard the name, but I'm really grateful to be um, getting some background on him. And I will, I will definitely look him up. 
I mean, part of what made his music so interesting is that um, because um, he was gay, he was very involved with the disco scene and he did all these uh, recordings using samples and beats like back in the 70s. And so there's this kind of, he doesn't belong to any genre. So, and that makes his music very rich. It's not just one thing. and. Um, and it makes his pop music very hooky. Cool, yeah, I'll check it out. I I feel like I know the name too, but I don't I don't know like I don't know if I know Arthur Russell's music. So, mm-hmm. cool. Thanks for that recommendation. Does anyone else have like music that they're loving right now? Do you like I don't know? Do you have like some recent albums that you've gotten that have really been I don't know stuck with you? Yes, I mean I've been. Over the pandemic or the last eight months, I've been listening mostly to to death metal and black metal. Um, so one of the albums I've been really interested in is this one called um, The Hidden History of the Human Race. And it's by this band called Blood Incantation. And they're from Colorado. I think they're from Denver. But it's a concept album about, it's, it's basically if you took that documentary, Ancient Aliens, and turned it into a heavy metal record, a death metal record. Um, it's basically about aliens who are I don't know, um, kind of built the human race. It's, it's really funny. Um, and I just find a lot of humor in, in death metal in general. Like there's another band I've been listening to called Witch Vomit who are from Portland. And uh, they, have, <laughs> they have this record called Buried Deep in a Bottomless Grave. And I just find that title just so hilarious. Um, it's just so absurd. Like how can you be buried deep in a bottomless grave? Um, are there women in Witch Vomit? <laughs> 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 um, I, don't, I, don't so. I don't believe there's women in, in, in Witch Vomit, um, but a, another band I've also been listening to is a, a classic death metal band from England called Bolt Thrower, um, and their bass player is a woman, and they've been around since the early 80s, and they're probably one of the best death metal bands, um, you know, that ever existed, and then I've also been listening to, like, a lot of Finnish um, black metal, like, there's this mm. band called um, mm. Aransi Pazuzu, um, who's like a psychedelic black metal band that uses a lot of synthesizers and their songs are very long, like, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Um, but yeah, it's it's just been a lot of death metal over the last um, uh, eight months. Um, yeah. I need to uh, introduce you maybe just on social media to my best friend who lives in Austin. And um, she she worked for Waterloo Records for a long time, but she is a total death metal queen and uh <laughs> actually the scariest show i ever went to i went to with her and it was slayer in hartford connecticut and i'm not a metal ah. person <laughs> and it was the most crowded um energetic concert i've ever been in anyway that's cool. yeah i actually i saw slayer during their last tour um they played at madison square garden um with primus and phil and Salmo and one other that I'm forgetting, but yeah, it was, it was an incredible show. It was, it was really great. Well, Anna, have you been listening to any death metal? No, no, but (laughs) 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 I have, um, you know, it's interesting. I've been listening to WBLS since I was a kid. So at eight o'clock in the seventies, they used to play, um, oh my goodness. Um, there I go, King Moody. And at eight o'clock when that King Moody song came on, I knew I had to go to bed. So all these years later, I still listen to WLS, but I'm listening to it in the morning and they have like a cute you know, segment where people write in, it's called the Strawberry Letter. And I'm listening to everybody's romantic problems in the morning (laughs) they'll play like you know like a classic like a michael jackson or some type you know r&b song and then um personally i have a lot of music um um, from my ipod and um i just like rearranged it and i made a a a playlist like with gerald levert johnny gill but then i added like all these west indian artists because i i really like love reggae and calypso so and it's just interesting i notice that it, for me sometimes it's the certain i don't know if it's the beat or the melody i'm a little i can't sing so i guess people tell me i'm tone deaf because i can't repeat a tone but there's certain music that just like that i find that i match with and i enjoy 
So I quite haven't figured out how to match with, with metal yet. Um, you know, I was at a concert and this, I don't know if he was actually metal or rock and roll, but he had a yellow suit, uh, like a, almost like a Superman suit in yellow. It's from New York, some band. And if he was giving me the like key to life, I just couldn't figure out what he was saying. So, um, and then the other new thing I've been listening to, my, my cousin dropped the album um, called Jungle Drew. And um, so I purchased it to be a good cousin, but then I realized there's a big age gap because I'm not sure if it's rap or trap or mumble rap. So I'm still, <laughs> I'm still, <laughs> but I'm getting some subgenres there. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm definitely, um, I'm proud of him that he has this album out and I just hope that it's successful. Awesome. Yeah, I guess I listen to a lot of like the same stuff on repeat, especially like I have my like running mix and I've been listening to this one campfire playlist that my husband made when we were on vacation that has like a lot of kind of like 90s uh I don't know like post-punk stuff on it um like more on the mellow side but I guess like the one album that I've been listening to a ton is the new um Le Luke album I think it's called Dreamboat it's like very like I've been listening to it on repeat it's like really it's pretty ambient but it has some like kind of dark and synth in it and it's like just really I've been listening to it a lot while I work um it's, uh, yeah, uh, anyway, so that's like an album that I would recommend that I've been listening to a lot and then coming back to. And I also like have been listening to a lot of podcasts, especially in the evening. Um, I like to listen to podcasts when I cook. And I actually listened to a new, a new podcast, like the first episode just came out. And it's um, Daniel Chang, the Momofuku chef. Uh, I actually like to watch cooking shows and listen to about cooking when I'm, when I'm cooking. Um, I haven't listened to it. I know he has an, another podcast and I'm not like a super fan of his, but I listened to this podcast last night. It's really good. It's called Recipe Club and it's just him and two other people and they each pick a recipe, like a different recipe for something. And then they all three make all the recipes and then they talk about kind of the experience of trying these different recipes. And then they, one of them is the winner, like one recipe um, based on all of their experiences. But it was just really funny because a lot of them broke the rules and they were like, oh, I didn't have like a pot big enough to brine. They were doing turkey because of Thanksgiving. And so basically like <laughs> Daniel Chang just ended up just putting everything in a smoker and everyone was like, you didn't do any of the <laughs> assignments um but it was like a pretty fun fun show so yeah I've been I listened to that and I I also listen to stuff you should know all the time just like as like background um I don't know if you guys know that podcast it's like pretty good they just have basically a, episodes on like everything from I listened to one on geysers this week I, I've listened to like ones on recently on like haunted houses and uh the electoral college i mean they just do they actually do really good research i find it's like a cool podcast to use with teaching too just like in terms of how they incorporate the research that they do in in a very like informal and conversational way so yeah what, some podcasts excuse me Nora, what was the title of that podcast again recipe club and the other one was what uh, recipe club uh is the is the daniel chang one and the other one is um just stuff you should know um, it's, it's these two hosts from Atlanta and, um, these two guys, and they just, you know, pick something and do research on it and then talk about kind of a deep dive into like random stuff, like anything you can think of. Um, so it's, it's a pretty good one. I recommend it. They both sound good. Cause I, I watch a lot of cooking shows too. So I, I enjoy cooking shows too. Cool. Rachel, do you have any album or podcast recommends for us? Well, this is a little bit cheesy, but I have had the same song in my head for about two weeks. <laughs> um, and it's because of that meme that went around from TikTok of the guy skateboarding while singing Fleetwood Mac. Have, you, have any of you seen that? Oh yeah, that's great. That was a great video. <laughs> so that song has been in my head for two weeks and it's a great song, luckily, and a great album. So I've been kind of revisiting that because that's a classic. I have a really eclectic taste in music and um, I, I, I listen to a lot of different stuff. Um, um, Rachel, what, what song is it? It's, it's Dreams 
I think is the title of the song from Fleetwood Mac Rumors album. And um, okay. TikTok, which is, you know, these very short videos that people do, and people are just amazingly creative within this really short format. But this, this very, you know, kind of normal looking guy was just skateboarding and, and lip syncing to the song and filmed himself and became world famous and got like, I don't know, you know, a new truck out of it or something. But um, <laughs> anyway, it, it was, uh, you know, one of those guys you're like, oh, good for you. Um, Cause he was skateboarding to work or something. But um, yeah, so Fleetwood Mac, Rumors, it's a classic, it's, it's, it's a good one. Yeah, it took me a long time to come, you know, to, to come to terms with <laughs> that Rumors is one of the best pop albums. Um, at least I, I think so. I, my, my older sister and I, we have arguments. Well, we had arguments about it for years. Um, and then I started to listen to Rumors like from start to finish. And then I, I had to agree. It's, it is like a, a masterpiece. Yeah, the production on it really, really makes it. Yeah. And if you also yeah. know, like the, the background. Uh. No, I mean, I've never given it a good listen because it was like a white hot hit when I was in college and I heard it to death. And you know how that is when you're in college and you keep hearing the same albums being played at you over and over and over, over and over. Oh, definitely. Um, it was in that category for me, too. I mean, my, my musical background is much more of a, a punk and goth of the 80s. So my, my soundtrack for growing up was, um, you know, The Cure, Echo and the Bunnymen, uh, Cocteau Twins, Susie and the Banshees, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's my mm -hmm. go-to music. Um, so for me to love Fleetwood Mac might seem a little strange, but I also really <laughs> love like some, some classic country and was what I, my parents listened to. So, you know, put on Dolly Parton or um, Merle Haggard and I'm pretty happy too. So, you know, if it's good, I'll listen to it in, in whatever genre. So looking forward to looking up some of these recommendations like Arthur Russell today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like the, I feel like Rumors is like the perfect Sunday morning album. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a, it's upbeat in the right kind of mellow way. Like I have it on vinyl, so it's definitely, I mean, I, I probably listen to that album and like, Paul Simon on vinyl the most of like anything in my album collection just because like I often like on Sunday morning will put on records and just like want to listen to like something that's like kind of comforting and like familiar and kind of like in a pop mm. space you know <laughs> you can sing along too yeah yeah for sure mm. well these are really great recommendations um so let's take a brief commercial break and we'll come back and hear what everybody's watching. Today's podcast is brought to you by Commons, a book of poems by Me Young Me Kim and available now as an ebook at the City Tech Library. In this work, Kim creates meaning through juxtaposed fragments. Her poems negotiate a constantly changing world, scavenging through scraps of experience, spaces around words, and remnants of emotion for a language that enfolds the enormity of what we cannot express. So welcome back. Um, so yeah, I would love to hear what folks are watching, whether you're diving into movies or um, classic shows or re-watching things or, in, in, or watching some of the stuff that is like new. Um, it's hard to keep up, even though I know there's less kind of content being produced right now in, in movie and TV spaces. So yeah, I don't know whoever wants to kick it off with what you're, what you're watching. Um, I definitely always am welcoming new, different recommendations for what to watch. Hi, this is Nanette. So I've been watching, well, it just finished uh, Lovecraft Country and um, it's on HBO or HBO Max. And it was like really great. Um, uh, uh, oh my goodness. So I, Matt Ruffin, is that the right name? He rewrote, he wrote a book, Lovecraft Country and um, it brought in African-Americans. It, it's the, the, the show has an African-American showrunner and a lot of African-Americans working on the set and the stars of the show um, or, um, or African-American, uh, Courtney Vance, uh, uh, Smollett, uh, one of the sisters, uh, Jumeray, and uh, oh my goodness, 
I forget, I'm sorry, I forgot the names. But anyway, it's like this, it's great because it has like historical nuggets in, they've incorporated historical nuggets in the show. So even though it's like science fiction and I believe Lovecraft, the original Lovecraft was made by a very racist man. So to actually have the show with African-Americans in it has been like a really good experience. Um, yeah, I think you're thinking of uh, Jonathan Majors, who um, he, yeah. he I think he plays the lead in, in Lovecraft Country, yes. um, and he was also really great in uh, The Last Man from San Francisco or, or The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Um, oh, I yeah. yeah, I haven't seen it, but it was one episode about the Wilmington Massacre. Yes. That's what I thought. Yeah. So they're working some some really kind of deep and heavy history that Americans love to ignore into the show. Exactly. So for instance, in, in one episode, they had some kids playing with a Ouija board and the, the little boy's nickname was Bobo. And he said, will I enjoy my trip you know, to the South? And the Ouija board came back and said, no. So then a few episodes later, they're all going to Bobo's funeral. And then they put the, they're describing everything. And you're like, wait, maybe this sounds familiar to me. And then you see the right. Emmett Till. So right. it's like, they, they work it in. And, right. uh, and showing him as a little boy first, rather than the image, which is just of him at the end. Exactly. And then you, you know, then you're, you're seeing what happened like on his funeral day. And then they work that into the story with the child character and then what she goes through on that day. And, um, you know, in the horror that she goes through um, on that day. But it's just so, it's like really great. Um, there was another scene where um, the character Hippolyta is driving um, by herself on the road. And then they put a character in of a, a black woman on a motorcycle and she, you know, represents a real woman who drove across the U.S. and Florida on her motorcycle. So it's just been, it's, it was definitely a fun show. Um, there's always like monsters involved and, and well, a little bit. It's, it's interesting that they use the horror genre to, to talk about the real horror in America. Um, that we're, it, it's um, very appropriate in a way to, to, to reclaim the genre for, for that. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, exactly. It, um, I, what was interesting, as scary as it was with like the monsters and stuff, the, the racism it brought up, those were even scarier when there, there are moments in there when they're in a sundown town and they have to get out, but they can't speed because he'll stop them. And, you know, like you, you see them trying to get out of the town and cross, you know, cross the border of the town without speeding. And do they make it? And then you say, oh my goodness, they made it only to be like a few minutes later to have be roadblocked off by police officers and being like marched in to the woods. But you gotta watch it to see what happens. So it's, it's interesting just how um, sometimes the scarier parts are the reality that you know people went through and are going through in um, the society. Right, like Sandra Bland. Um, it's just the, the actual horror of being a, a, a black person in, in a racist um, matrix kind of where, where any move you make is the wrong move, you can't win. Yes, exactly, exactly. And then to see it to play on TV, um, it's just, it was, it, was, it was good. And then sometimes, um, you know, seeing TV, like seeing, someone that's similar to you or your family um, on TV is just a good experience, you know, like to, so it was um, quite interesting. And um, even like um, calling like your friends back and forth to talk about the show, it made it a, a shared experience. Um, and usually with sci-fi, it's, it's been a while since I read some sci-fi. So it was just, it was nice to see it um, in that way. I think it was a very well done production. Yeah, it's also very different than the book because I, I read the book for, before I watched the series. And the series, I think it does a really good job of incorporating you know, real historical events um, that I feel like a lot of people just aren't aware about. But uh, yeah, I, yeah, I love Lovecraft Country. I, I think it's a great series and it's a great book. And um, I also think it's a really 
you know, timely critique of, of Lovecraft because for years, decades even, he was revered as like, you know, a horror writer and, and, and things like that. But yeah, he was a eugenicist. And, and if you, you know, read his work in the context of that, a lot of the monsters that he's talking about are, are, pe are of people of color. Um, so I think like Lovecraft Country really, there's, there's a sense of like really well done um, critique of, of, um, of Lovecraft in, in the genre. I didn't know that about him. I've never read him. Um, that's not a genre I read a lot in um, and an ex-boyfriend really loved him. That's kind of all I knew about him. So the eugenist thing, that's really good to know and, and mm. extra scary. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't really know that either. I knew that he lived. He was from Providence, which is just because I'm from Rhode Island, and that he lived in Red Hook. Yes. And I've seen. I maybe like one or two theatrical ad adaptations of some of his short stories, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't really know a lot of details because I'm not a big, a big horror genre. So I'm. I'm gonna do a big pivot because like Nanette's comment about like seeing. You know. Um, people that look like you on, on TV reminded me of like a movie that I watched recently. So my husband and I have been doing this thing where, I mean, it's just us watching movies. Cause like our social life is just a lot of us watching movies and we've been watching some TV too, but trying to like also just kind of watch some old movies or catch up on movies. And we don't always have the same taste in movies. So in October, I just did what I called Nora's October Film Fest, which was just like me picking all the movies. And so November, <laughs> November is um, uh, Jerry's November Film Fest. And he made me watch two movies about dudes and time travel. And one of them I had to read like was Primer. I don't know, Junior, you might know this movie. I'm, it's like, it was made for like $7,000. I had to read the Wikipedia article like four times to understand how traveling back in time creates like a double of yourself. I was just like, I don't understand this, but I actually enjoyed that movie. But the movie I really want to talk about is the movie that I watched earlier this week as part of um, Jerry's November Film Fest because I requested a comedy and we watched um, the classic movie from 1988, Coming to America from Eddie Murphy. And, oh. um, and we were like really, ex I was like really buckled up to be like, this is going to be racist, you know? Cause it's, I mean, especially the music starts and it's like they live in uh, Zamunda, you know, a, a fictional African country and he's the prince of Zamunda and they come to, um, he wants to kind of like sow his wild oats and meet someone who doesn't know he's a prince to have, it's like kind of a classic romantic comedy trope. And he comes to New York City um, and he like is in deep Queens um, in, you know, it's supposed to be set in Jackson Heights, but like some of it's filmed in different areas of Queens. Um, and I was so surprised that it kind of really wasn't that racist, like for something that was made in 1988. And also I was like, it's kind of crazy that in 1988, they made a big studio movie that features an all black cast. And it wasn't like a cheap shoestring movie. You know what I mean? They had like huge dance scenes and like very ornate kind of like uh, crowd scenes, like in the scenes that took place in, in Zamunda. And, um, you know, I mean, it's also like Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall star in it. And they play like a bunch of other characters aside from themselves. Like they play, um, like a, a barber and like a barbershop regular just like in the downstairs from the apartment they end up renting in, in Queens and James Earl Jones plays like the king of Zamunda and he's amazing um but anyway just like it's been fun to watch like a lot of kind of r random old movies um like I would never have chosen <laughs> uh that movie that was definitely a Jerry a Jerry pick but um yeah it's so I don't know it's been kind of cool to do that if you have like someone who you're you know pandemicking with it's good to kind of trade off especially like you know it's, it's hard to decide sometimes what to watch so anyway i can recommend a 1988 classic yeah coming to america was great i just i remember when that came out and we just all just loved it it was really a wonderful experience and um it's still it's still like one of like my favorites and just it's wonderful yeah that was a great movie because he had to go to Queens because he had to find a queen. It was it was cute, the whole movie. Yeah, it's I mean it's a rom com, but it's like it's you know, it's it holds up. I was I was surprised. I was really bracing for it to kind of like, I don't know, traffic in like a lot of stereotypes from the eighties, but it really didn't and it was pretty funny. 
I think the biggest stereotype was the Jerry Curl, the family. They all left the Jerry Curl spot on the, on the couch. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> yeah, Soul, Soul Glow. Um, yeah, but the Jerry Curl dude, I forget his name in the movie, but he was like the one, the only one that was like, how did you learn that from, you know, he, he was the only one who was really kind of putting like racial stereotypes on Eddie Murphy's character because they had like a love rivalry. Um, yeah, anyway. I believe that actor was, um, Eric LaSalle. Yeah, it was Eric LaSalle. Oh yeah, totally, totally. He was like, totally, totally. ER. Right. Yeah. And I think Samuel Jackson was also the, the guy, the guy who holds up the, I forgot the, the McDonald's. It's um, McDowell's. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, Samuel L. Jackson has a cameo. Yeah. <laughs> Early Samuel L. Jackson cameo. But anyway, I don't know. I, I don't know who wants to follow coming to America, but. <laughs> I have a couple of um, recommendations, but the, I have to um, preface it by saying they're on Netflix. Um, so, and they're, and again, it's, it, they're a bit cheesy, um, but it's the haunting of Hill House and then the haunting of Bly, Bly Manor. And has anyone seen them? Oh yeah, those are, I, I enjoy those. They're, those are great, especially the first episode of the haunting of Hill House for sure. Yeah. So it's, it's one director who has a, a background in horror, again, a genre I don't usually do in either movies or books. Um, but he, for the first one is based very loosely on Shirley Jackson, The Haunting of Hill House. And the second one, which I think is the better one, Haunting of Bly Manor, is based on um, uh, Turn of the Screw by Henry James. And both of these are, are um, books that have been made so many times, but this guy really played kind of fast and loose with it. Um, but the reason I would really recommend the second one, Haunting of Bly Manor, is there's some amazing acting in it. And I had an intuition about the actress who um, plays the housekeeper, who is my favorite. And she is, is, she's mesmerizing as an actress. And I thought she must be um, a Shakespearean actress. Because so many British actors, especially when they're just really, really good, have that Shakespearean background. And so I Wikipedia'd her and sure enough, she does. So Haunting a Bly Manor is on Netflix. And I, I, that's my recommendation for watching. Nice. I'll check those out. Yeah, I'm not a big, huge horror person either, although I, I watched a few horror things and, you know, in Halloween, Halloween times. Junior, do you have any movies or TV to recommend? I was actually going to say, I, I watch a lot of horror <laughs> and a lot of sci-fi. Like, um, I'm, I'm always excited when October comes around because that's when I watch the most horror, I feel like. Like, I watch a horror movie almost every week. Um, so the last uh, film that I watched was uh, this film called um, The New Mutants, which is a, an X-Men spinoff uh, that came out recently. And it's about a group of young teenage mutants that have superpowers. Uh, but what's very different about this one composed, like, compared to other superhero films is that it's set in a horror setting. Um, and it's, it's really good. It, it has all kinds of different uh, up and coming um, actors and actresses in it. Um, and I, I would recommend that. But um, the one show I've been watching the most is this Danish-British uh, co-production called Fortitude. And it's about this um, police officer who's trying to solve like a mass murder in a small, remote Norwegian town. Uh, and it's actually set, the, the production location is Iceland. And that's another reason I've been watching is because I've been wanting to travel so much. Uh, I've been trying to watch more films that you know, have exotic locales. Uh, but that one's really interesting because there's an element of, you know, a small town life. And uh, the gist of it is that this group of children find um, fossilized mammoth bones. And then uh, some weird things start to happen in this small town. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's, those are some of the films I've been watching. Um, how are you, Monica? Have you been watching anything new? Uh, not really. I mean, my partner is going on this kick about Laurel and Hardy of all things. And I, <laughs> we watched one uh, two nights ago and I enjoyed it. It was actually a lot of fun. I think it pivoted off of this thing that I hate the Three Stooges and I hate Abbott and, Abbott and Costello. And he loves that. And I'm always like, uh, you know, too much violence, too much stupidity. And I think, you know, he's like, well, look at Laurel and Hardy. It's kind of like, like them but not as 
not as stupid and violent. <laughs> so yes, I definitely enjoyed that. But um, I was just going to throw in, okay, so New York Magazine, The New Yorker, all these people recommended this film called The Love Witch. And we saw that for Halloween. And I don't at all like horror, but it's it was like a, a contemporary exploitation film. Everything looked 70s. Everything was like ultra colorful and garish. And it was made by this um, very low budget feminist filmmaker. And it was just really strange. It was about a, a woman who just has this insatiable desire to have more men in her life. And she makes these witch potions for them because she is a witch. And, um, you know, do I recommend it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I thought of it. It was really strange and kind of almost like um, it didn't have like a normal dramatic tension, but I would just bring it up because we're talking so much about horror and science fiction and um it was like kind of like if quentin tarantino made a film with 75 dollars and was a woman but i think that it, that may be a, a remake I, but i don't know if it is a remake from a 70 of a 70s, 70s no film, no so it's not no okay no um that's just her whole shtick. And she makes everything on her set by hand. She makes all the costumes, all the props. It, it's really visually unbelievable, but <laughs> yeah. So that's my- Valley of the Dolls aesthetic. I, I really liked the aesthetic. <laughs> I agree. Oh, did you see it? I did, I did. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> just for the colors and costumes and hair alone, you know, it's it's worth a watch. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll check that out. I, I mean, I do like a lot of like old movies and, you know, I, I definitely do a lot of like Criterion and yeah, my comfort food is definitely like old musicals. Like on election mm. day, I watched Pennies from, uh, Pennies from Heaven, which I love. And I like have recently watched Singing in the Rain. And I also but think I just miss theater. So. But you mean the original Pennies from Heaven, not the Steve Martin? No, no, remake, I watched right? the Steve Martin one because I love Bernadette Peters. Okay. I just have like a thing about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love the lip syncing just because it's like so intentional. Um, I, I feel like all my picks right now are really corny, but I mean, I have been watching some like also really good films. I was just trying to think of like the, the best film that I've seen this year. Um, and I think mm. it might be this film called The called I think it's called first cow or the first cow did anybody see this um mm -mm. it's uh it's Kelly Reichardt and uh oh she she did some other movies that are like very subtle and she did one oh they're uh, very subtle yeah but this movie Lucy Lucy yeah. Yeah, and she does like a lot of really, I mean, her cinematography is amazing. Like, I think that she uses a lot of like natural light and definitely, you know, is really interested in mm -hmm. kind of like the compositional uh, side of the movie. And it's it's literally just kind of like about a bunch of um, people who are going west, uh, like fur trappers and, you know. Oh. Yeah, like in, in you know. Are you talking about Meek's Crossing, right? Isn't no, that? No, no, it's, it's called First Cow. It's another one? Yeah, and it, it's, oh, okay. it's during like kind of frontier times where people are, you know, going west to find gold and there's kind of very um, in like, I don't know if it's set in California or Oregon. It's like, you know, it's set on the west coast and there's not even like towns yet. It's, um, it's more like you know, just like kind of like leave these little settlements of like where there's maybe some provisional housing and, and a couple of like you know like a market and maybe one kind of house and like the British are still very there you know and just about these two guys that um become friends um who are kind of both not accepted by the 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 kind of bands of fur trappers that they were traveling with until they get to this outpost mm -hmm. and um one of the British kind of I guess like colonizer guys that's just like hanging out there at this point admirals or something um gets a cow imported so that they can have like you know milk in their tea and whatever and so these two guys <laughs> they start they start um stealing milk every night because one of the guys is a cook 
and they sell these like fritters that they make and it's like there's so much suspense in this movie because you're like they're gonna get caught and like killed for just stealing this milk um I can't describe how like suspenseful it is um but it's really actually just like about these two dudes that are really good friends um it's like a really great movie about friendship um and it's I mean it's so subtle the framing but I I don't know it's just like you're like the stakes are seem so low that they're just like stealing some milk but you're like it seems like it could go really wrong for them and I, I won't spoil the movie <laughs> but it's it's really beautiful to watch too I mean a lot of it's very dark because there's like some a lot of the you know cow um milk stealing happens in the, at night so they kind of um, use like really minimal lighting and I don't know it, it, it's really it's a really beautiful film so that's a little I mean I feel like I was just yeah that's that's a little more highbrow than my my coming to America um, <laughs> recommends or my old <laughs> maybe for for something yeah. I, don't know. I don't know no I mean more. she she's a great uh, director I really like her and thank you for mentioning that film I'll make an effort to see it yeah, I think it's it, it's streaming, so it, it's new. I mean, it came out this year, or maybe uh, I don't think it had a theatrical release, but yeah, it's one of the best films I've seen this year for sure. So let's just take um, one more commercial break and come back and um, you know talk about books uh, since we're we are librarians. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hip Hop Dance by Audrey DeAngelis and Gina DeAngelis. Available now as an ebook at the City Tech Library. This title takes an inside look at hip hop dance and examines the origins of many styles of hip hop dance, such as breaking and locking and popping, and explores how they burst into the mainstream and went global. And welcome back to City Tech Stories. So that's um that's just here a few recommendations i'd love to know what people are reading um i you know it's always it's always good to get to get new book recommendations so whoever would like to kick it off i haven't read them but i was at a um, meeting and i just heard about these titles so they're like my my list of what to buy has gotten a little bit longer um and um, I'll share it with you in two seconds because of course I forgot. <laughs> but it, it was interesting, like oppression and algorithms was one of them. Um, the other one, Nora, were you at the meeting, the same meeting with me or did I, I probably sent you the notes from the meeting, but it was just the, um, one was a bell hooks book about the, um, okay, come back to me, come back to me. I'm gonna get my list. Yeah, yeah, we can come back to you. It, yeah, it's good to hear about what people are also aspiring to read too, because I know sometimes it's hard mm -hmm. to pay attention. Yeah, we actually think... have a copy of uh, Algorithms of Oppression in, in the library, um, a, phys mm -hmm. a physical copy. And yeah, it's a great read. I, I think everyone who works or anyone that works in libraries or, you know, uses a library, uses a search engine, um, should definitely read read that book. Junior, is it readable in terms of the writing style? I always kind of uh, feared reading it because I thought it would be too academic and dry. Oh, uh, yeah, it is pretty academic for sure. Um, that, I think that's the intended audience. Um, but I mean, you know, saying that though, just just skimming through it and seeing how algorithms work, uh, I think it, it reveals a lot of how flawed they are um, and how there's a lot of implicit bias um, that of, of these systems that definitely sounds like it's worth reading. Yeah, it's been on my list for a long time. I'm really not good at reading nonfiction. Like I can read a little bit of it, but then I, I always peter out. Like for me to read a whole nonfiction book is like a feat. <laughs> yeah, unless it's just, a bio, right? Unless it's a biography yeah, yeah. or a memoir. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I can read memoirs. Yeah. I just, I need them. I'm, I'm reading. I had uh, Monica. Oh, no, I mean, speaking of nonfiction, I'm reading the new Kurt Anderson book, Evil Geniuses, The Unmaking of America, and it's like incredibly long, and it's taking me forever to read it, and it's kind of tracing the whole history of how we got to where we got to today in terms of income inequality and, you know, how corporations found a way to kind of take over everything in American life and politics, and um, Oh, man, you know, Kurt Anderson, you know, 
help me. He does Radio Lab. What is the name of his or Studio Three Sixty? Is that the name of his show? It's not Radio Lab, but it could be Studio. It, I think Studio Three Sixty. But he has this wonderful voice. He's one of these people that was made for podcasting and radio, and he just has this very kind of droll way of speaking. And I, you know, the book is really interesting. It's kind of overloaded with information, but what's cool is that when he writes, he brings his speaking voice into his writing style, and you can kind of hear him talking when you read the book. Um, so, you know, I would just say, aside from the content, in the book, which, you know, it, it just gets into, you know, everything, starting with Barry Goldwater going through to um, the Federalist Society part is what I'm reading now, just all the different things that happened in American history to create our current moment. Sounds heavy, though. <laughs> it is heavy. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I don't think I'm going to finish it before the book expires because I'm reading it as an ebook. So I'm kind of like, oh, that's going to stink. I'm going to have to get online again and, and finish reading it like half a year from now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely read for escape these days. Is anyone else reading any escapist lit? What's what's interesting is we're in the pandemic and I really love like mysteries and just like Alex Cross books and um, all that stuff. And I just haven't been doing that. Like, you, you know, the fun, the fun stuff that I used to enjoy and get a kick out of. Um, huh. It's like I um, this is a time when I should be reading that because I like I just I like mysteries and I and I haven't been. So I, it's like I miss it. Mm -hmm. no, no. And, what kind of mysteries do you like? I also like mysteries. I'm right in the middle of a new P.D. James. Well, it's not new. It's new to me. Um, interesting. Do you like the kind of the uh, police procedurals or? Um, you know, I like it all. Like, I like the procedurals. I like the fun, you know, the cozy mysteries when they're in the small yeah. towns. Um, uh, like the Stephanie Plum ones, you know, just having fun. I like the Alex yeah. Cross. The, you know, I just... I. I really enjoy even like Nero Wolf. I was reading some yep. of those, and um, and I even replaced my my Kindle Fire because the the other one I had broke, and um, you know so that way I could get them from the library a little bit easier. I even was reading ones that um, had steampunk in them, and I can't remember the name of the author last night. I I said, oh, I have to remember the author for this. William okay. Gibson, maybe? No, no, that's not right. Oh yeah. The father of steampunk. That I should be uh, enjoying um, having been. So it's, it's, it's yeah. COVID does change that. I I, um, I read a lot of mysteries usually, and I'm I'm also not reading them as much as as I used to or usually do. I, I did just mm -hmm. finish um, Truman Capote's. Um, no, why do I keep blanking the title? It's his famous Inkle Blood. Um, which, if you've never read it, it's 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 really amazing writing. Even though it's you know a very sad topic, but just um, yeah, I've read it a few times. It's one of those that I can read again just for the writing. Um, Is that the one where where he? Because I I'm sorry, I was watching something and they were showing the filming of it where the the people traveled across the U.S. For $40 or something like they, for some reason, they thought this family was rich. Is that the one that? Ties yes. Out? Yes. Okay. Yep. And, and Truman Capote befriends one of the men who's on, they're both wind up on death row. Um, and he befriends one of them. So he gives their whole backstory and it's just really, um, yeah, it's just, his writing is just always one of a kind. Yeah, that's like the kind of nonfiction mm -hmm. that I can can read because it's like narrative and like very propulsive. Um, yeah, I've gone through phases of like not being super able to focus on reading during the pandemic and then have like gotten kind of into some big books. Um, yeah, so right right now I'm reading, um, I'm rereading something that I've read before because I've been, um, I'm obsessed with swimming, um, which is hard to do in a pandemic. So I've actually read a lot of books about swimming and I, I, um, I don't like reading eBooks, especially cause I've been, um, you know, on, on computer screens so much, I, I really can't. So I've been um, 
not able to get as many library books out. So I've been buying stuff from like some indie bookstores that I, I like to support. Um, so I just picked up like my latest <laughs> shipment of books is like, I'm reading um, right now, The Sea, The Sea by Iris Murdoch, which is, um, it won the Man Booker, I think it's from the nineties. Um, it's, it's very over the top um, in like a very, you know, British way. It's about a um, retired mm. playwright and stage actor and director who like leaves London to retire like um, on the coast. And he's, you know, very kind of self-important, um, Charles Araby. And, you know, he's, he's quote unquote famous and, you know, thinks kind of highly of himself. And it, had, it has like a very romantic idea of his own like seclusion on the coast and like retreat from London. And he's, um, he's going to write his memoirs. Um, but a lot of the book is about just like kind of rote descriptions. It's one of these books where I don't know why it's not boring. Like he talks about like all the gross like British food that he's eating in like immense detail. And I'm like it's still very riveting um and the book does get more uh like and it's also very meta in which he's like writing but he's writing about trying to write his memoir and like he's like oh and now I really feel like I'm writing my memoir because this scene I just wrote was so wonderful you know <laughs> um but a lot of it's about kind of obsession and about the sea kind of takes like this role um and he increasingly becomes like an unreliable narrator not just because he's self-important but also because you know that he's you know, putting all these literary flourishes into his memoir. And he becomes obsessed with this woman in the town who um, is someone that he grew up with, who he was in love with. But you also don't know as the book goes on if it's if it's really her, you know what I mean? Like he he's, he, there's a lot of projection. So mm. I don't know. I definitely recommend this movie, uh, this book. It, it's not like, um, it really is kind of a slow read, but I, I find it not boring, even though a lot of it's like how he's like eating a sardine and just like staring at the ocean and like wondering why none of his <laughs> friends has written him letters and that kind of thing. So I also um, got The Waves, Virginia Woolf's The Waves, because I want to read that next. I haven't read it since college. Um, mm. and, you know, so I've been, I'm, I'm like reading a lot of stuff about about swimming. Um, and yeah, I definitely took a break from like not being super focused on reading. And so I was trying to read like a lot more short stories and kind of, um, I, I took like a week off and read some novels and then kind of got back into it. But I also want to like uh, <laughs> plug this other thing that I just finished, which is I know this this poet um, who he does a he does a dream delivery service and he lives in, in Fruta, California. Um, and I know him kind of like through other poets uh, in New York City, uh, like from like the kind of like, um, I don't know, from the kind of like New York poetry scene because I, I used to kind of be kind of tapped into that. So his name is um, Matthias, I don't know exactly how to pronounce his last name. It's S-V-A-L-I-N-A. -A, so I, I think it might be Spavlina. I don't know exactly how, how, how you say it. But anyway, he does his dream delivery service. And if you if you live near him in, in California, he just rides a bicycle to your house every day with a dream that he writes for you. Um, or you can get the dreams mailed for, you know, if you cover the cost of postage. And he writes you like a dream every day. Um, except on Sunday, everyone dreams the same dream. So he said, you know, everyone who subscribes gets the same dream on Sunday. And they're just these really short, like one page um, dreams. And it's just kind of nice to get, you know, mail like every day. Sometimes you'll get two at once or whatever. Um, about, you know, your dreams, <laughs> especially since I don't remember my dreams. And so, I don't know, I thought that would be a fun thing to do just to get mail and um, support, you know, a poet who does this, this project. And uh, yeah, and I've also been, um, I also am subscribed right now, I really miss the theater to an epistolary play that Ars Nova is doing. Um, it's, it's not that good yet. Um, it's just called PS. Um, and you basically just get letters that are other, you know, it's almost like reading an epistolary novel. So it's like letters between people. So it, that's kind of cool. I've been, you know, I've been spending a lot of time reading in my bathtub. So those are some of my recommends. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I, um, I need to shift the conversation. I, I don't think I've been reading that much. I mean, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was trying to read through as much fiction on my shelf as I could. Um, so I, I read like the, uh, the children's series of the, the Philip Glassman, um, oh, I forgot the name of it already, but it's that trilogy about the, 
the familiars and, and his dark his oh, dark, dark materials. Yes, yeah. yes, thank you. Yes, uh, yeah, it's, uh, Pullman, right? Oh, Pullman. That's right. Yes, yeah. Um, oh. but yeah, that that was yeah that was a really good read, but that was back in March. Um, and as you can see, I barely remember any of it, but I, I really enjoyed it. But uh, uh, me and a former CUNY librarian are actually working on a bibliography project about marginalized communities and extreme music. So that's um, you know people of color, um, people who identify as LGBTQ, and you know the intersection of of those communities uh, with that of extreme music. So, you know, things like grindcore and hardcore punk and, and hip hop. Um, so we got a grant from ALA to read and to create this bibliography. Um, so I'm gonna start uh, Tranny, which is uh, the, the autobiography of Laura Jane Grace, who is a transgendered musician um, who fronts the band Against Me. Uh, I've been- Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, um, uh, I've also been reading the BC Boys uh, book, I think that came out last year or this year. Um, so it's been a lot of music biographies and a lot of um, documentaries mm -hmm. that, uh, that Joan, um, who's over at Cal Arts and I have been trying to prepare this bibliography. So it's, it's a lot of good like reading for um, nonfiction, but it's also, you know, it's, it, it's a good change of pace from um, just reading the news. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think there's a riot girl archive at NYU. Um, I mean, not oh, all of them. That's right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Sounds like a fascinating project, especially, I mean, there's a lot that happened in punk rock too. So yeah. And just kudos to NYU for preserving the whole culture of downtown New York. I mean, they, they've been amazing about it. Yeah, I, I miss that. I miss going to those archives. I used to, I used to go to the um, to the labor archive there more than the the you know the downtown collection. But I brought my students um, to see a lot of the documentation of like early uh, theater history, and they have some amazing stuff. Like they have like uh, dioramas of old sets and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I know they did. I, I tried to watch. I've read dark, his dark materials, and I'm not a, a fantasy person, so like it was like you know a stretch for me. And I actually like I like that trilogy a lot. They did a I think it was a TV uh, adaptation, but it wasn't that good, or I couldn't get into it. the The CGI was a lot, you know, with the bear and everything. <laughs> yeah, I remember um, I watched a few episodes of that, and um, I couldn't get into it either. Uh, and I know there's like a, a sequel trilogy as well that I'd like to start sometime down the line. But yeah, it's a good, he's a good, a decent writer. It's, you know, a good page turner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I heard that. Those are really good. Yeah, even if you don't like YA or fantasy, because I, yeah. I like I'm just, just generally not. <laughs> yeah, not a fantasy person, but yeah, I, I love those. And I remember, did was Tilda Swinton in, in one of the filmed versions? She played the very evil. No, it was um, Nicole Kidman, I think, actually did in the, in the movie version. Um, but it is kind of better to imagine the familiars, which are these animal creatures, not to give too much of a spoiler away. Um, than to see CGI versions of them. Not as fun. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, I, I forgot. No, Nicole Kidman's everywhere. So, so Nanette, do you want to, um, did you, did you find your list? <laughs> yes, I finally found the list. Okay, yeah, let's hear what you have, like, or you aspire to read, because that's, that's, that's good, too. Well, the, 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 so this week I had gone to case studies in critical pedagogy, and that's where they had mentioned the algorithms of oppression, but they also mentioned um, teaching to transgress education mm -hmm. um, as in a practice of freedom by Bell Hooks and pedagogy of the oppressed um, by Paolo Fieri. So when um, like listening to the talk, I was you know thinking about it, and I um, didn't, you know, I was just I was like, wow, like I um, I haven't been thinking of it, like when I'm in the classroom mentioning that in terms of like the algorithms and the search, because it's like you just have that that 50 minutes, and like how do you balance it out? So um, so that was just I, some titles that I put on the list this week. 
And then the um, they also mentioned um, Dear America, Note to My Undocumented Citizen by Jose um, Vargas. So um, those are the titles that I just um, um, heard, like I heard about this week. But the, um, what was I gonna say? So anyway, yes, but it seems like I have to do a better balance with the fun stuff that I like, that I used to enjoy reading, um, like Walter Mosley and um, GJ, GJ Robb and just like the fun mysteries versus also the stuff, the academic stuff for work. So I am. Um, yeah, the bell, the bell Hooks is really great. And if you haven't read Pedagogy of the Press, it's, it's actually very readable. Um, yeah, I mean, I think mm -hmm. if, if you're interested in, in critical pedagogy, like, I mean, a lot of the stuff in, in the West kind of uh, draws from uh, Fierre's work. It's, it's a, it gets into like economics and also just, it really does a good job of like considering the perspectives and like the experience that everyone brings into the classroom as like part of every educational encounter, which I think, you know, it's easy to forget that, but, it, but I think actually like, online ed like I really online ed is, has been a challenge in teaching online but it, it is cool like especially when I've had like one-on-one -on -one appointments with students because it is a little bit personal you know and you are like in each other's home in, in this way um so yeah it kind of reminds you like I mean like obviously in the classroom we're all coming from some place right and not just like our literal home but like from our cultural experience and and all where you know what we already know and what we're expecting to happen in the classroom and all that stuff but um yeah like it, it's online education kind of just like reminds you that we're all kind of juggling a lot of stuff like you know helping students out who are like you know their kids are in the background or that kind of thing oh yeah yeah I think oh yeah when this first started, I read something and I never thought of it that way that once we step on campus, we're all equal. Like we all have the same background, the same classroom, you know, and with us being off campus now and everything's remote, the digital divide in America has been so, you know, it's, it's really coming how, how terrible this digital divide is because we have students that are a homeless population you know, and they have problems getting computers or if they can get the free computer from the school, where do they get the Wi-Fi because the libraries are closed? You know, I saw something with two, you know, two young girls had to sit outside a, um, a fast food chain to get the internet service to do their homework. You know, so it's just very, um, it's just very sad. Like the, it, you know, it's, we're so blessed that we have the job and that we can work from home but we just have so many students that are struggling and falling through the cracks. It's a shame that there isn't the political will in New York City to have free public internet across the city, especially when they keep, um, you know, what's happening with the schools, especially how chaotic that is for the kids and the parents and the teachers. Um, it's, it's just, I'm, I'm frustrated with the lack of internet access too. Oh yeah. No, it's not even just the, the free internet access, it's the monopolistic practices of the, the few, you know, providers. I mean, you know, you don't have much of any choice. Right. No, and they, you know, the price, the price fixing is crazy. Like, I mean, even just like our bill has gotten crazy because we, I guess we like rent our modem. But yeah, I mean, so many students have so many barriers. Um, I'm actually teaching a class on digital privacy next week for um, a seminar, like an interdisciplinary sociology course on that they study a lot of things related to technology and, and identity. And um, yeah, I actually found this really cool thing. Uh, the, the ACLU in Rhode Island actually like issued a statement to the school chancellors there. And I this is one element of digital privacy that like I had not considered. Um, and they, you know, they were basically calling um, out the school district um, on uh, loan device surveillance because, you know, and I know so many CUNY students are using loan devices as well, but um, because the devices technically belong to the school, like not only could the ISP, but like also I think some school administrators could like get access to like things like the browsing history and stuff like that. So 
it's really is a scary weird yeah, especially if those devices you know are coming from google um because i i feel like anything built by google automatically has some sort of tracking in mm. the, the system you know regardless um or the link nyc like those you know the ones that you see on the street and things like that um i know that those are also problematic because even though those provide free internet um, and free, you know, cell phone access and everything like that, that also tracks, there's a lot of metadata and, um, you know, data collection through those devices as well, mm -hmm. that I think a lot of people aren't aware of. Yeah, I think we can presume that our data is being collected almost anywhere, unless we're using something that's encrypted or, you know, otherwise locked down. Right, yeah, that's really true. Yeah. But it's just, I just feel so bad for the students. And the teachers, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a hard time, but hopefully um, that people will listen to this and find ways to learn more about some of the issues that we've been talking about through um, like some of the materials that you just recommended, Nanette, but also find some um, recommendations for how to escape and um, maybe learn about some music and podcasts and movies and books and stuff that, that maybe not all of our listeners were aware of. And um, yeah, and I'll try to do my best to find access, like, you know, links to everything. So um, anything that's available through our libraries or through the public libraries or just available for free online so that we can link out to all of the stuff in our show notes for today's episode. And um, yeah, so I just really wanna thank you guys for all taking the time today. This was like a fun conversation. I know that I um, got some good recommendations and hope our listeners did too. Oh, and just an aside for our collection, if you're, you're going to link to our collection, the open archive, open libraries is going to be starting, um, I think this week or next week. So any we have in our collection that's five years or older, if there is, if we have a physical copy in our library, there will be an electronic copy available uh, coming from the open libraries. So the internet archive open libraries. Sorry, my title is a little bit off. But um, so we should, our, our electronic book collection should be growing, um, you know, once people do a search in the catalog. So I think that that may help some of our students with the collection and searching for books. That's really good news. Yeah, wow. that's, that's great to hear. We'll definitely um, have more info about that out on our blog and social media channels for once that's live. I think that's just such a good good news because I know it's it's hard to not have access to our physical collections for sure right now. Um, yeah, appreciate all you guys all joining today and um, you know um, taking the time out to talk about this. So um, yeah, we will. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to City Tech Stories. If you're interested in other recommendations from the City Tech Library, Visit our website at https colon slash slash library.citytech.cuny.edu. We're also on Instagram and Twitter, so be sure to follow us there as well. Don't miss the next City Tech Stories episode. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.